Hello and welcome to NetCast, where we are taking an in-depth approach to sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. I am your host, Mark Hatfield, and I hope that you are encouraged by these studies in the Word of God. We invite your feedback and would love to have you as a regular part of our listening audience. Please stay with us for today's message. Thank you for joining us here at NetCast. Today is a milestone for us as we are finishing up Season 1 of the podcast with a final lesson in our premiere series, Rooted in Christ. I appreciate all the positive feedback that I have been receiving from you about the material that we have been sharing together. I look forward to many more episodes to come. Before we get into our message for today, we want to give you the answer to the trivia question from the last episode. And I asked you, according to Romans 6, 1 through 8, when does Paul say that our new life begins in Christ? And the answer is really found in the first four verses of that context, but we will read them all together and focus on the pertinent parts of the text. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 6, starting in verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Notice here how Paul says that our new life in Christ begins at the moment we are baptized, because baptism is a symbol of our putting away the old life of sin and dying with Christ. When we are raised up out of the water like Christ was raised from the grave, we start our new life in Him. If you want to be featured in a future episode, please visit our trivia link at netcasthost.com forward slash trivia. Record your answer using the free SpeakPipe recorder, save the file, and send the link provided to netcasthost at gmail.com. We will review your answer, and if it is correct, we will consider sharing your audio on the show. Let's get into the meat of the lesson for today and make certain that we are in Christ and growing deeper in Him. Imagine you're holding a seed in the palm of your hand. It is not going to grow there. No life will sprout unless you bury that seed. And this is the first step of getting into Christ. Number one, being buried in Christ, finding a place to take root in baptism. If you have listened and participated in this study, but you have never taken the step of faith to get baptized into Christ, this really is the beginning of your new life of faith in the Lord. Have you taken the step of faith? While many see baptism as some type of a work that would merit or earn salvation, the reality is that this is the only step in the process of conversion where you literally do nothing. Someone else plants you underwater and into the likeness of Christ's death so that just as Christ was raised to new life, you also will have the new life through his resurrection. 
In order for something to grow, it must first die. Have you died with Christ? It is a submission step to allow someone to immerse you into water where you do no work, but you allow the Holy Spirit to renew you as you are regenerated by the blood of Jesus through baptism into water. It is at the moment of baptism that the conditions are right for salvation. The light of the gospel is shining forth and is believed. A heart receives the seed of the word of God and repents. And with a confession of their belief in Jesus, they are immersed in water for the remission of sins. At this point, the seed has been planted. Teaching has been done. It has been watered. It has been reinforced and encouraged. And the beginning process starts. It takes inception. James chapter 1 and verse 18 says, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. When one is immersed in water in obedience to the word of God for the remission of sins, the new birth takes place and one is born again, according to John 3, 3, of water and the spirit. John chapter 3 and verse 5. From that moment on, the believer is given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is referred to as a living water that flows like a river in the innermost being to provide a steady stream of new life. John chapter 7, 37 to 39. And it sustains the growth of the seed as well. From that point forward, after being raised to walk in this new life, Romans 6, 1 through 8, you are a new creature, says 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul said there, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. This allows the Christian to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, that's a singular term representing a set of godly characteristics that accompany salvation and spiritual growth. When we surrender our lives and submit to the Lord's command for baptism, Christ becomes our life. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3 and verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. From that exact occurrence of a burial in water, it is no longer I who live, Paul said, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul knew exactly when he was forgiven of his sins and his new life began because he was told in Acts 22 and verse 16 by Ananias, Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Baptism is a symbol of death, burial, and resurrection to life. The life that we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us enough to give himself up for us in his death. That is why Paul says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1:21. While we have a breath to take, let us exhale each one in service to the Lord. Our lives are to be consumed in service to the one that gave his life, that we might live unto righteousness and one day enter into life eternal. Number two, we need to be found growing in Christ. This is the germinating and sprouting process. Once we have started our new life in Christ, it is expected that the seed of the word of God, which is Christ, John 1, 1, John 1, verse 14, and is planted in us through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, will take spiritual nourishment and grow into something after its kind. If the seed that is planted in us is Christ and we are planted in him, the kind of growth that should be evident in the life of a Christian is the image of God's dear son showing forth as we are transformed into him daily. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, 
so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. We start on the milk of the word, which are the basic nutrients, but we eventually graduate to meat, which is like a fertilizer that penetrates the soil of our hearts and causes even more growth. The transformation process only happens when we are a daily sacrifice and allow our minds to be changed by what we learn and we apply it to our lives through the service of worship that we offer to God acceptably with reverence and awe. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. At this point, we are able to distinguish right from wrong, and we are not carried about and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but we become deeply rooted and unmoved by the things that come our way. We remain in fellowship with others of the same faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, Jude verse 3, so that we can create a positive ecosystem in which we can thrive. Anything that is planted is expected to make progress. We would never expect anyone or anything that has life in it to remain the same. Over time, we expect to see clear signs of growth, which speak volumes about how deeply rooted we are or how healthy the foundation is beneath the soil of our soul. Next, we need to bring forth fruit in Christ. This is called finding fruition in Christ. In order to produce fruit, a tree must be nourished from the root system up, and that nourishment needs to reach every part of the limb attached to the trunk or the main vine. Jesus, as we pointed out earlier, is the vine, and God is the caretaker of the vineyard. Every child of God is a branch connected to Jesus. In order to grow and produce fruit, we need to remain connected to the source of our life. Any branch that is broken off and is separated from the main vine that feeds off of the root withers and dies. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But attached to Him, we can do anything. To measure the health of any plant, you can look at its leaves. If the leaves are turning brown, either the seasons are changing to fall, which means it's entering a dormant stage, or the branch is no longer productive, it is dead. We learned earlier that those that love the word of the Lord and who meditate on it day and night are like a tree planted by streams of water and their leaves never wither but remain green. There is no dormant season for the child of God, but rather we are like the evergreen tree that even during the cold winter months will find a way to weather the snow and ice conditions by storing up needed nutrition to keep us thriving all year round. The evergreen has a wax layer over its leaves or needles on the conifers that protect the moisture in rolled coils and thick leaves so that when the winter months set in, the cold does not dry out the leaves and it can continue the process of photosynthesis remaining green. If we as Christians can trust in the source of our growth, that even when the rest of the trees are turning colors and dropping leaves and entering into a dormant stage, we can be green at all times. We will produce fruit in our season as the good Lord sees fit, but we will always be green. Number four, we need to be pruned in Christ. This is one that often gets overlooked. We need deeper roots and stronger shoots. In order for a tree to remain healthy, from time to time it will need to be pruned. This is the process of removing part of a branch to make it stronger, provide nourishment where it is needed, and to keep a branch from growing in the wrong direction. While this can appear harmful or painful on the surface, a wise husbandman knows that you can make the branch stronger and get more fruit from a properly pruned limb. Some might question the shortening of the branch by saying it looks like you have removed growth. 
but the reality is the branch will be thicker and stronger and more viable for remaining green and producing fruit when it is properly trimmed back. The word used in John 15 for pruning is the same word in the context where Jesus said, you are clean by the word that I spoke unto you. While I cannot say exactly how God does prune us and prepare us for greater growth on an individual level, he does it. It may seem unpleasant at the time while he is purging or cleansing part of our lives, but it is a necessary part of the process. Without it, you will not be as fruitful as you have the potential to be in the Lord. The pruning could come in the form of persecution, it could come in the form of a trial, or it could be a test even from God. This process can also come from periods of deep reflection where God calls us to an opportunity that may challenge us. We also get prepared for greater growth through our own positive experiences where we are inspired and edified, but it may require us to go out of our way or make some significant sacrifice. Number five, we need to stand firm in Christ, staying strong in the Lord. When we reach a place where we are grounded in Christ, we have to be reminded that we can always be uprooted. Standing firm does not signify being idle. We must constantly make progress and move forward. In any battle, an army that stands their ground but never moves forward to take on new territory might as well retreat. No one can ever take us from our place in Christ. We can forfeit that place by a daily walk that is contrary to the will of God in Christ. But a walk denotes movement and in this case, movement in a positive direction. We can be cut off or severed from the Lord by our own doing. The mighty oak is only mighty because it weathered the storms, the droughts, the winds, and other calamities that it had to face while continuing to grow stronger. Steady growth is the key. For those that are tossed by every wave and wind of doctrine, they will struggle to remain firmly rooted. We need to become immovable in our faith, staying in step with the Holy Spirit and moving toward heaven. Yes, it is possible and absolutely necessary to grasp the concept of being steadfast and immovable, but still abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Now, number six might surprise you. Uprooting what is evil from our lives while we're in Christ. That means we have to purge our lives of evil. We have learned throughout our time together about roots of bitterness that can spring up, or if we love money, that it can cause all kinds of problems because it is the root of evil. The fact of the matter is, we could all benefit from taking inventory in our lives, very similar to the assessment that we covered in the last episode. This will help us to determine the areas of our lives where we are weak and strengthen those parts of our faith, while also asking the Lord to reveal even secret sins where we are transgressing against Him and remove those weeds. I can remember walking through row after row of potato plants with my grandfather as a boy with a small bucket that had some fuel in it and putting potato bugs from the potato plants into that bucket to kill them because they were killing the growth of the plants. I can still see my grandfather spraying pesticides on certain trees to keep the various pests away that could kill the blooms before they even become fruit. In the walnut trees every year, we would have to burn the worm bags that developed in the tree because they were killing off the growth of the tree and harming it. The point is that many of us would benefit greatly from a purging. What areas of your life simply do not glorify God? Where have you let down your guard and welcomed in some activity that, while not maybe inherently sinful, has you walking a very fine line? While living on the edge may sound adventurous, you are one mistake away from falling away from the living God. Please note that if you don't take it upon yourself to clean up your act, God will uproot these things for you eventually, and it will be a painful process. 
Every plant that he has not planted will be uprooted, and the Lord knows those that belong to him and will discipline his children. The weed cannot hide in the wheat. Once you grow up, it is evident what you have become by what you produce. The same plant cannot produce good and bad fruit. We will produce based on what fills our hearts. And then finally, number seven, the harvest in Christ, getting ready to go to the storehouse. If you have been a Christian for a number of years, you are not done growing. You may reach a place where you feel like Paul and say, well, I've run the race and I've finished the course and I've kept the faith, or in terms of our rooted class, I'm ready to go home and dwell forever in the presence of God. While you may be preparing for the golden years of your life, you might feel white and ready for harvest, you must not lose sight of your task. Just because Paul felt he had reached the finish line, he never stopped serving the Lord until he drew his last breath. We can never pass off the torch, as they say, to a younger, more vigorous part of the church because they need to see the generations before them serving as an example of what it means to be faithful unto death until you are poured out as an offering completely in the service of the Lord. There is no retirement plan on the earth for believers. After you have served the Lord for 30 plus years, you don't get to take retirement and sit back and watch others carry on the work of the kingdom. While the role that you undertake might change in that you might become a mentor, maybe someone who would challenge and feed others with wisdom or perhaps serve as an elder, deacon, or Bible class teacher, but there are no reserves in the Lord's army. You will either be enlisted and fighting for the right, or you are against him. To use terms that relate to the series, you will either bring forth good fruit and be found thriving in Christ, or you are slowly dying and destined to be severed from the Lord. Jesus said, He who does not gather with me scatters. There is no riding the fence allowed. While your many years of dedicated work will never be forgotten by the Lord, you cannot deviate from the level of service that you have been committed to and rest before reaching your eternal home where we enter the true rest that remains for the people of God. Each one of us is a necessary part of the tasks that must be accomplished in the field of labor. To make sure we are ready for the harvest of our soul, we must be found faithfully serving the Lord. Revelation 2 and verse 10. Stay rooted and grounded in love and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. As we conclude today's episode, let me remind you that our next series in Season 2 is going to cover the angels of God. We will take an exhaustive look at what the Bible says about these heavenly creatures. I hope that you will be looking forward to these studies. Related to this upcoming series, I wanted to give you the opportunity to respond to the next trivia question. Can you tell me, in Isaiah 6, verses 1-6, through 6, how many sets of wings did the seraphim have, and what did they do with each set of wings? Visit the trivia link on our website, netcasthost.com forward slash trivia, to submit your answer. Please tell your friends and other Christians about this podcast by sharing what you learn on social media. You can also connect with us on social media like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram so that you can stay current on all of the new developments at Netcast. If you would like to support this podcast beyond being a dedicated listener, please visit the support link on the website at netcasthost.com and consider making either a single contribution through PayPal or become a patron at Patreon and provide a monthly gift. We will use this support to continue improving the podcast for our listeners. 
From now until the end of December 2019, any contribution made to NetCast will be rewarded with the complete Rooted in Christ series PDF, along with the complete PowerPoint presentations for the series, which includes the outline, charts, images, and other helpful tools to guide your study as you share what you have learned with others. This is Mark signing off. Until next time, God bless you richly in Jesus Christ our Lord.